This is the Last Minute Blues Podcast with Jeff Burton, Donnie Fandango, and former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. It is the Last Minute Blues Podcast. Donnie Fandango, Jeff Burton, and Mr. Jamie Rivers. Jamie, what's up, dude? You know what? Happy early Father's Day. Oh, wow. Thank you, Donnie. You too. Thank you, man. You too. I I, I, got to tell you, Mary asked me a million times, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Nothing. Seriously. I might go to a record store, but that's it. Like, I'm going to do nothing on Sunday, and I'm going to let them wake up. I'm going to watch Three Stooges. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do. What is your feelings on extracurriculars for your kids being scheduled on Father's Day or Mother's Day? That's, uh, to me, I mean, I understand that scheduling those types of things is not an easy thing. So I understand that, but that seems like that sucks. Yeah. Like, I mean... That's what I've got going on this weekend. Uh-huh. My daughter plays on a volleyball team, and the volleyball team thought it'd be great to schedule a game on Sunday, on Father's Day. So thank you for that. Appreciate that. So now I have to either disrupt the Father's Day with all of my kids to go to the volleyball game or tell my daughter she can't go to her volleyball game because it's you know it's disrupting Father's Day, which either way I feel like I'm being selfish in one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you as the athlete, there's no way you're telling her that she's I'm not going to tell her to miss, <laughs> right. you know, but like it's just, it's dumb. Yeah, man. Yeah. No good. That's no good. Well, we got a couple of emails here. The NHL season has, uh, has wrapped up. Um, and I, you know, I thought, I thought Florida was on that type of role that, you know, man, that just pushes you. I mean, maybe a blues role or whatever, where, you know, you just think that, that there's something behind you. But uh, Vegas, they had their say, and oh, yeah. holy bejesus, they, I mean, they, they rolled Florida. I mean, yeah. they, they absolutely rolled them. My biggest question, Jamie, that Vegas team is set to be good for a while, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Vegas, their roster construction is really good. They've like They went from... The expansion team, where they put together the right pieces, had some success. Then they went and added a whole bunch of big money because they were like, let's go. Mm-hmm. They've learned now, over the course of their six seasons in existence, how to do it. And for me, they've they've unlocked the code. You get two top-end guys up front that you pay big money to, and you get two or three top-end defensemen that you pay big money to. And you fill the rest of the roster with players that can do a job. And that's what Vegas did. They got Eichel and Stone up front making nine and a half and ten million. Then it drops off. Then there's like five million guys, three million guys. Guys are making seven hundred and seventy-five thousand on a team that just won the Stanley Cup. On defense, you got Petro at eight point eight. Then you have Martinez and Theodore at like five point two each. And then after that, there's a drop off. So they figured it out. They have. They've got bona fide superstars in positions of importance. And they filled the rest of the roster with really good, hardworking, dedicated players. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, and I don't, so I, this isn't going to come out great. <laughs> but in watching that that final, and especially in just watching how Vegas played Florida, man, and I mean they just seemed to beat the bejesus out of them. It made me kind of feel like the Blues were a little further off than maybe I had thought that they might be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, our team last year? Yeah, way well, off. for sure, way I, off. for sure. I mean, you just, just if nothing else, Jamie, the guys on both teams that will do all of the little things, all of the dirty work, all it just feels like a lot of those dudes that did that kind of stuff are not doing that sort of thing now on this particular team. And unless that changes, I mean, yeah. 
So a couple things have to happen here. One, you got to stay healthy. That, that that's a big bonus for you. But look at Jack Eichel. <clears throat> Jack Eichel was a uh, offensively gifted guy. Uh, didn't have a great tenure in Buffalo, and people questioned his two hundred foot game. So much so that people are like, "Wow, ten million Vegas! Well, you're getting a one dimensional player." Bruce Cassidy had a say in that. And change Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel is like a Selkie Trophy candidate next year. Remember me saying that. Right on. And so what has to happen is guys like Robert Thomas have to look at Jack Eichel and go, what did he change? Mm-hmm. He sacrificed some points on the board because he has a long-term deal. He's making $10 million over the next, what, eight years mm-hmm. per season. Robert Thomas is making $8 million over the next eight years. It's okay to sacrifice points for team success now. You've got your money. You've got your payday. Mm-hmm. What will happen is the benefit of it is winning and winning championships. Jack Eichel was a massive piece of that team winning, not because he scored timely goals. He provided great offense when needed, but because he played a 200-foot game. Absolutely. Mark Stone ended up being one of the biggest pieces of it all. Boy, he was so good. 200-foot player. I hate his guts, but God dang it, he's so good. Jonathan Marcheseau. Oh, dude. 200-foot player. Dude, Donald. if there's 250 feet on the ice, Marcia So is going to work those extra though. 50, man. But that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's the difference. You had buy-in from the top guys in your lineup. So then when guys like Will Carrier are out there, you know, which, by the way, he plays so hard, and he's such a good player, just using his name mm-hmm. as a fourth liner. When you're looking at your top played, paid players – Sacrificing, I don't even. I don't know if anybody blocked more shots than the Vegas Golden Knights this postseason. I mean, it's incredible the amount of sacrifice they had. When you see that, you have to play that way too. Yeah, and it just carried down. And that Vegas defense core, that's perfectly built. Dude, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. So then, okay, they're so, so then, big. So then this. So then my worry train has just been picking up oh, all it this should, week, Donnie. Because I watched the um, the. No, and it's not wasn't a press conference, but I watched the media availability with Coach Berube after the hiring of uh, Michael Weber and Michael Babcock, and I heard him mention the word words accountability multiple multiple times, holding people accountable, hold expecting uh, the, the, the raise the bar that sort of thing, and so like. It's just alarming to me, man. Like, of all of the things that I want to hear the coach say, worrying about accountability, I don't know what my guy, I want my guys to be doing that on their own and not have to have the coach, you know, kicking them in the ass for a year to do it. Yeah, but they didn't do it last year. No, they didn't at all. They didn't. They didn't. So, what do you do as a coach? So, now the plan moving to next offseason is starting to build, rebuild, reestablish, probably reestablish your style of play and your culture as an organization. Mm-hmm. And that style of play and the culture is sacrificing to win. Accountability, 200-foot game, play for your teammate. That's, I mean, that is blues, that is Baruby slash blues hockey. You didn't have all those components last year. You just watched two teams get to the Stanley Cup final that had it. The Florida Panthers couldn't stay healthy, and one would argue if Matthew Kachuk is 100%, Ekblad's 100%, you know, what happens? Maybe there's a series at it. Maybe there is. But that's part of the battle, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that if you're the Blues, you want to reestablish you know, what your values are as a, as a club, and that's where you get busy. Boy, oh, boy. I, I, it, 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 it was just, just watching them, and I'm just thinking to myself, man, this is not 
th- th- we're we're not we're not close here. Now we've got good pieces, but we're it just just feels like there's a there's a ways off here. A couple things. One, Matthew Kachuk even suiting up in those games with a broken effing sternum. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. I mean, that's painful. Dude, I I watched him play, and I mean, obviously, I knew something was up, and I never bothered him. I never asked. I mean, why would I ask? Um, I thought it was more of a shoulder issue, uh, but then watching him be tender at the start of games, you could tell where like things weren't right, and adrenaline hadn't quite kicked in, and he was playing, but you could tell. And then knowing now he had a broken sternum for the ending of played out the rest of game three, played game four. Scored timely goals in both of those games. It's nuts. And he almost scored the game tying goal in game number four. He just hit the top of Aiden Hill's pad. Otherwise, we're going to overtime in that game. Well, and then what about Aaron Ekblad? Was yeah. that that dude was pretty much playing on like one arm? Like I mean, yeah. he had a few things going on. Guys go through a lot, man. You go through a lot, especially when you have a team that you think can do something special, which the Florida Panthers did. They didn't reach the ultimate goal, right? But they got all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals and were three wins away from you know lifting that thing. When you get that that chance, it's amazing what you'll play through to try and make it happen. And it was it was it, it's always it always bothers me to hear these things after the fact because knowing just what guys went through when I played and the stuff I went through personally when I played, and it it catches up to you. It does. How could it not? I, my body is ruined for life because of playing through injuries I probably shouldn't have. But it goes with the territory. Yeah. It's the nature of the beast. And you could not there's no you couldn't tranquilize those guys to not play. Yeah. There's no way. Because man, like part of me, like the sort of rational side of my brain, which there is, it's small, but it's there, says, man, I don't love hearing a, I, I love an athlete that wants to lay it on the line for his team and for his friends. I mean, dude, much respect. But, like, at the same time, man, like, I feel almost guilty patting these guys on the back for doing something that legitimately, like you say, is going to affect them potentially the rest of their lives, these injuries. It's hard, man. It's a choice that we make. And it makes me feel like a bully, kind of. No, you know what I mean? don't feel like that, because no matter what you think, they're going to do whatever the hell they want anyway. Yeah, that's true. I can tell you that. Yeah. You know, there's times where, I told you this before, I just lied to trainers, yeah. lied to coaches, and was going to my own doctors on the side to fix injuries that I had because I wanted to stay in the lineup, let alone in a Stanley Cup run like that. Mm-hmm. There's no way. The athlete makes a very conscious decision when they're maturing and developing through all the different levels of hockey. This is why you see some of the most amazing players at 11, 12, 13. Then at 14, they're like, "Eh, I don't know. This is quite a bit of sacrifice. That kind of hurt. That kid's pretty big. Ah." And then 14, 15, 16, like it just, I call it the, the funnel. This is what I say to kids. There's a funnel, a huge funnel. And every year you throw hundreds of thousands of hockey players into the funnel. And as the years go by, it gets smaller and smaller and yeah. smaller until one NHLer pops out the bottom of the funnel. And that's it. Yeah. Now empty the funnel and redo it because that's literally what the percentages are. That's literally what the percentages are of playing in the NHL. Yeah. So it's not to discourage the kids. What it is is to show them that this is a marathon. Yeah. You're not making the NHL in peewee. You're not making the NHL at 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a grind. And so the athletes, 
the ones that do get all the way to the NHL, there has been a tremendous amount of sacrifice along the way. Yeah. Physically, emotionally, friendships, proms, school dances. You ne- I never went to any of those things. Yeah. Because we were playing. You're you're too busy playing. So yeah. the, the sacrifice that is in there seems like you've done that your whole life. Now you're going to get to the NHL or let alone the Stanley Cup final or the playoffs, and you're not going to sacrifice everything to get what you've been looking for since you were four years old? Yeah, no way. There's no way. Yeah. There's no holding back that, that animal. And it's the side of the game that I wish I could dive into and explain because it's really abnormal. It's not a normal behavior. Mm-hmm. It to put yourself in harm's way, to play through injuries, to risk permanent damage or death even in some of these situations, like it's not a normal behavior. And it's very difficult for the athlete once their time is done to where do you find that sacrifice? Where do you find that kind of uh, adrenaline rush? Where, how do you feed the animal once the game is over? You can't. Yeah. And so it's, this sounds crazy, and I know I am a little bit off my rocker at times, Donnie, but this sounds crazy, but I, I can't tell you how great it would be for me to block a slap shot right now. Yeah. No, I get it. Like it, It's nuts, but like it's understandable nuts. I, it would hurt like hell, but yeah. I feel like, oh my God, yes. Oh, I've missed you. <laughs> right. And then it's sick and twisted. I know it yeah. is. So that's, you know, I'm di- yeah. I'm way off the rails into the players, like, psyche and psychology and all this craziness. But to go back to the original, to drag it back onto the rails here, is players will sacrifice no matter what it takes to hoist that cup. Yeah. I want to ask you this, and I, I hadn't originally thought that I would, but you are somebody with a very unique perspective. And I would just, I'd just love to know what you think of this. A, a news story that I saw, or a sports news story that I saw a couple times this week uh, that came through was the story about... Uh, baby Grunk and uh, and his dad. Have you heard much about this young man? I kind of saw it, but I, I didn't really feed into it because I wasn't really sure what the hell it was. I know it's not Grant Grunk's kid. No. I know that. No. Because I was like, Grunk has a kid? At first I was like, gosh, maybe he does. Like, it's possible. Yeah. No, this is a, a young it's man. It's just a guy who calls his kid Baby Grunk. Correct. And he's got all these connections and all of these things. So, like, he they, they are already speaking of this kid as though that he is a, you know, a, a top-rung college prospect. And he's what, eight years old? I believe he's 10. Oh, my God. And so, like, the dad talks about how he trains like a um, <clears throat> an athlete, he eats clean, he, you know, he is a different type of kid is kind of what, um, you know, they're saying. And, you know, man, I love sports a lot. But, dude, there's no part of reading what that dad talks about for his son that to me seems very healthy at all so this is a classic situation of dad is living vicariously through his son dad never made it anywhere dad never played college probably probably a backup in high school at that but he'll tell you he was a starter just ask him i see this all the time and i hate it yeah parents just pushing their kids and they go no he loves it that's because you haven't given him any other choices so it's like if you give a child nothing but bread and orange juice to eat, then you provide them with something that they've never tasted and they look at that they're starving at this point, and you give them a piece of ham that's sitting on the side, they're probably not going to eat the ham. They'll eat the bread and drink the orange juice because they know what that is until they taste the ham. But if you don't ever let them taste it, how do they know? Yeah. Then, no, that's a weird analogy right no. now. 
But it drives me crazy because here I am. I run a what I would call a very um, smart hockey program here with Synergy Hockey Skills. Yeah. And we promote the kids, one, doing other sports. Absolutely. We want you to, if you love hockey, then please dive into it. We have, we have all the programming you need for hockey. However, when you're not on the ice, throw a baseball, mm-hmm. throw a football, kick a soccer ball, throw a Frisbee. I don't care. Do something else. Get away from it. And as far as the clean, eating clean, come on. Come on. He's 10. He's 10. Yeah. Like, let the kid figure life out. What's going to happen is this kid's going to fizzle out at, like, 14 years old. He's going to hate football. Or the moment he gets into high school, someone's going to give him a cheeseburger. Or he's going to get picked on because the seniors are like, who the hell do you think you are, you know? Something's going to happen, and this kid... You remember that baby Gronk will never play college football. Remember me saying that now. And it's sad because the kid, obviously, the young athlete, has a passion for the game. As a parent, support the passion and help the kid grow. Let the kid make their decisions. Give them option A, option B. Tell them why. One's good, one's bad. And then every now and then, if your kid's a clean eater, right? Nothing but the best. Every now and then, have a cheat night. Hey, tonight's cheat night. You want McDonald's? You want Burger King? You want Culver's? And we'll get ice cream after, too. This you had a hell of a practice. Let's go get a Dairy Queen. Dude, this, honestly, this makes me sad talking about it. It, it makes me sad. It pisses me about off it. is what it really does, Donnie. It just does. I, I just, I've seen it too much, and I've seen it like all the t- growing up, all that. It, it's just it's ridiculous. Well, and also, too, one of the reasons that made me know that it was baloney is over talking to you over the course of the last few years and how you run your camp. And one of the first things that you talk about with your players is that you want them to have fun, that you want them to enjoy being there and doing it, and well, like if they're not having fun. What the hell are they doing there? A hundred percent, man. And then it goes from it goes from a passion to a punishment. I didn't see this dad talk about fun in that article for his son playing football one damn time. Well, no, because it's the dad that's wired right now. With the dad is dedicated to the progress. The dad is a fully grown, fully successful or unsuccessful businessman. Like he has already experienced life, so he knows that this is the path for. A football player. This is the past. So the kid has no idea. It's the dad yeah. that's feeding the kid the behavior. It's 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 not right. And then another thing that doesn't have to do with hockey on a hockey podcast, but every time that I talk or that I think in my brain about the Cardinals firing Ali Marmol, I think of I, I can honestly hear you in my head going, Does he play? Is he a player? Is he but man? If you're watching this mess like the rest of us are, what do you, what, what, how does this, dude, this seems to be, uh, this seems to be a problem that's been going on for a long time that is now kind of rearing its ugly head as far as player development, all of this stuff. But I'm almost to the point, Jamie, as a hardcore, diehard St. Louis Cardinal fan to tear this sucker down and to just start all over again with Jordan Walker and Nolan Gorman. You don't have to do that. You shouldn't have to do that. No, you don't have to do that. So let's not panic here. Um, I'm a passionate... Listen to me for a Dude, second. Dude, not panic? Don't shake your head at me. No, <laughs> no, put the objects down. That's not in your best interest. You, you've been watching what I've been watching. I know. But here's what we have to do is just like during the Blues season, got to remove ourselves as passionate fans for a second and then evaluate the roster of what you actually have. You have some really good pieces in place. Yep. So tearing it down would be asinine. 
You're right. Be absolutely asinine. You have an MVP at first base. You have a runner-up MVP at third base. They may not be playing like it right now, but you do have those guys. You have a catcher behind the plate that has made his mark in the major league level for a long time. He has a World Series championship. He will figure things out. So just leave those guys alone, okay? What you need is some of the younger guys need to learn to to suck it up, play with a little more grit. And in talking to certain people within the organization, there's some younger guys, younger-ish, you know, the 21 to 27 range, that don't have the grit necessary. Some of the pitchers don't want the ball two days in a row. They're tired and using me too much. And, whoa, that's where the problem is. Yeah. So now John Mosellock and the Cardinals, what they have to do is get back to Cardinals brand baseball, where it's all about the birds on the bat, not the name on the back. And I think they're going to try and do that. As far as Ollie Marmel's concerned, I have been very upfront and honest about this, that I thought yesterday, uh, as we record this podcast, is Friday, June 16th. I thought yesterday, Thursday, June 15th, was D-Day for Ollie. Mm-hmm. Off day between series, your team is terrible. No one seems to have answers. There's no response. There's no energy. There's no life. There's nothing. I thought the Cardinals would fire Ali Marmol yesterday. Did I agree with it as far as like his performance base? Uh, I don't think I agreed with it, but I understood it. Mm-hmm. And so I did say yesterday that they probably needed to fire Ollie if they're going to try and salvage the season. Because going back to the Blues, we dragged this back into hockey. And this is where Army did a really good job. As a fan right now of the St. Louis Blues, towards midseason, just after midseason, Army had his big press conference. You knew what the plan was. Yep. So you knew it was going to hurt. The yep. rest of the season was going to be a little painful. There'd be some bumps in the road. Some of your favorite players were going to be traded. Yep. But he told you. He said, this is what we're doing. This is what the intentions are. Craig Berube is staying. The players are going. I can't trade all of them, but I'm going to trade a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And he did. But Blues fans now are like, okay, it's Army's vision. He's done right by us the entire time. He's got a Stanley Cup championship. We're going to ride it out. Army, you're on notice, but we'll let you, you know, we'll give you your time here. Yeah. So where I think the Cardinals have been a little bit arrogant in their handling of this season is I've yet to see John Mosellock present himself in a full-capacity media press conference. Yeah. Uh, a State of the Union-type yeah. talk. You have shareholders, is what I called them on the show yesterday, shareholders, and you have 3 million shareholders because that's how many people will attend Cardinals games. Now there might be you know, repeats or whatever, so pick a number as far as your shareholders are concerned. Doesn't matter. You owe them an update or an explanation. Yeah. Or a plan. If you're the Cardinals, want to say, hey, here's the plan. Uh, we're not firing Ollie. We believe in what they're doing. The players are on notice. And although we will not tear this down, your lineup will look much differently following the trade deadline this year if we can't turn this around. That is our plan right now. We are in wait and see. Why are we wait and see? Because nobody's going to deal us any player that's going to help us right now right. without us sacrificing just losing the trade. The Cardinals are not in the business of losing the trade. But at least then you'd know. Yeah. this is, it, It's just, dude, it is my, you know, I, I've been a Cardinal fan since I was like seven. Since I, I mean, baseball was my first favorite sport. And I've, I don't remember ever feeling this apathetic about the team. Have you ever felt this in the dark? 
No. Like, I really feel like... I feel like we're not even aware of what's really going on. Like, we don't even really know this Cardinal team. That's what I feel like. I feel like I watch this team every night, yeah, religiously, and I cheer for them every night, but I don't really know who they are because I don't know what the hell's going on. And, and I don't know what this is, and this is probably just me in my head, but even as the Blues were struggling, there was still this, like, burning sense in me like, all right, well, they're going to get it right. They're going to figure it out, even if it's next year. Ba, 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 ba. But you but know like, why, Donnie? I guess because my general manager of my hockey team has kind of led out the plan yeah. for me to be patient and to watch. The face of the franchise, the boss, the big kahuna next to the ownership told you, you will feel this pain. You will be on the roller coaster yep. for the rest of the season. But there is light at the end of the tunnel, and here's our plan. That's why it was. That's why everything got better from a fan standpoint, an understanding standpoint. Yeah. Once Doug Armstrong was very open and honest. So then when the trades happened, they stung, but you were expecting it. Yeah, you knew. You, you knew. knew it was coming. Real quick before we wrap up, and I should have asked this earlier. Probably. Mike Weber, Michael Babcock. Yeah. What do you know about the, these two gentlemen that well, are going to be joining the staff? Donnie, interesting enough. I believe Michael Babcock has a very famous father that you're not a fan of. Yeah. I'm not going to hold that against Michael Babcock at this point. Um, I remember him. Very much so as a young man running around the locker room there at Joe Louis Arena as his dad, Mike Babcock, not my best friend, um, was my head coach. And uh, so I'm anxious to see what Michael Babcock has heard about my thoughts on his father. Um, you know, I wonder if he knows that I have a Babcock at least once a day. <laughs> you are not the only one, Jamie. Uh, There's I, no uh, way. I might change that to having a mic. <laughs> Since I don't want to offend Michael Babcock, yeah, you, right? You so, might need to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, I heard, all jokes aside, I heard he's a very energetic, uh, driven young man. He does have hockey uh, blood. You know, his dad being an NHL hockey coach, head coach for a long time, and being a successful one, no matter what I think of how he does it, he's had some winning teams. Uh, there's knowledge there. So I, I like it. There's going to be energy and enthusiasm on the ice for skill work. That is the number one thing. You need a psychopath out there. Trust me. I do it every day with these guys in the summer. You need a bit of a psychopath because those guys aren't always motivated to just work on skills. you got to be out there. get the music going a little bit. You're up on your toes, you know, laughing, joking, poking at these guys. Yep. I'm 48 years old, and I can do it. But at 28, I bet you he can just destroy it. Yep. And so I wish him all the best. I think he'll do a good job with that role. Because um, he's not an assistant coach. He's no. like a, he's like he's a, gonna be like he'll probably be the eye in the sky. So he'll wear an earpiece and talk to Steve Ott. And this is usually what they do because you see different things up in the press box. And uh, you know the Blues have had four coaches down on the bench for the last what two years. I think it'll be three again on the bench with Michael Babcock up in the booth. And he'll just relay subtle information that he's seeing, and it'll help him also get his chops as a coach, too, to be privy to what's going on and, you know, the meetings. And hey, you're trying to also develop coaches at the same time mm -hmm. when you're an organization. You want to be an organization that when people go looking for head coaches, they come to you and ask permission to talk to your coaching staff. That means you're doing it right. Right on. Um, Michael Weber. Or Mike Weber. <laughs> Michael, Mike, Mike and Mike here. But he's uh, a younger guy again. He's 35. I've talked to a lot of people. 
He's got a great energy, a great passion for the game. Um, he's really, really good at communicating. He's recently removed from the game as far as like his playing career, so he's still like in the know about you know how players are doing things these days. He hasn't lost touch with the the modern day hockey player. I worry a little bit about no experience at the NHL level. Um, that's simply because veterans can eat up and spit out young coaches. They can. If they don't feel like – if you don't get their trust right away. Mm-hmm. And it, from what I gather, Weber will probably do an excellent job at that. But if I was just going to say the one thing I'm worried about, and I don't even know this to be true or to come to fruition at any point, the one worry I have is that the veteran guys don't respond mm-hmm. because they're like, who is this guy? You know, he played 351 games. That's an incredible accomplishment. Absolutely. But for someone like a, and I'm just using these names because they're veteran guys, they're awesome dudes, but Nick Letty, Justin Falk, even Colton Pareko who's got a Stanley Cup championship, Tory Krug, like Marco Scandella, uh, Robert Bortuzzo, like there's a lot of games back there. So th- he's going to have to earn their trust. How he goes about it, I don't know. I know how I would do it, but I'm a different personality than Mike Weber, at least to my knowledge right now. I mean, when I meet the guy, we might be thick as thieves. I don't know, okay? But he's got to earn their trust. And by doing that, what he's going to have to do is be right about certain things. He's going to have to let them fail and then have them come back and be like, yeah, you are right. Yeah, that worked. And when it works, like then the trust starts to be yeah. built. And then they're like, okay, this dude knows what he's talking about. I trust him. So there, it's it's weird. It's it's like the relationship management thing. So it's going to be really important that Mike Weber and Michael Babcock are here all summer, and they're at the rink with the guys. You're not allowed to be coaching guys, but they can come to you and talk to you. They can, you know, whatever it is, get on the golf course with guys. Like whatever it is, like get integrated within the group so that when training camp comes around, you're one of them. You're not the outsider now trying to you know kick dust in their face. No. We've had some beers. We've played some golf. We've had a barbecue. We've done, like, whatever it is that that you know this guy at least. Do you think Doug Armstrong has got a big trade coming? Obviously with those three first-round picks. And here's the rationale that I say this is because of how, you know, there was some, some, you know, like in Toronto, they're probably going to be some changes up there with the big four. You know, Florida. I wouldn't count on that, by the way. Really? You wouldn't? Nope. I don't. I don't believe that to be true. Hmm. Well, maybe this will be for another podcast. But I'm just saying, and, and this is nothing that I know, just what I've heard. <laughs> but but it's just um, it's going to be very interesting for me um, to just kind of see if, if if there's a shock to the system kind of trade for Doug Armstrong and the Blues this summer. I don't think there's a shock. I think that it's pretty obvious he'd like to move a high priced defenseman mm-hmm. on the left side. That's it. How is he going to do it? I don't know. Full no-trade clauses across the board for his top four defensemen. So either Doug has to include a first-round pick, uh, whatever. but you, you almost have to be willing to lose a trade to gain cap space, if that makes sense. So trade a player and a draft pick for nothing, basically, in return. And right. the player has to accept said trade. Oh, boy. So here's, the, here's where it could get nasty. Because then, if you know you're on the block, but they don't move you... That doesn't bother me. Okay. Uh, the players don't ever really find out they're on the block. They already know. Like, they know. Like, if I was Nick Letty or Tori Krug or Marco Scandella, I would know that my name is being talked about. 
deal with it. It's mm-hmm. part of the business, you know. Maybe I'm callous to it because I moved around quite a bit, but I don't really care. My job is to go to the rink and do my job for the team that I currently play for. Mm-hmm. Here's where it could get nasty. Is if Doug Armstrong has a really good trade lined up to a team that a player does not want to go to. And the player says, no. And Army's like, yes. Player's like, no. Army's like, okay, fine. Then what's going to happen is come training camp, I'm going to waive you. And every team can get you for free at that point. And uh, you'll have no choice but to go to said team because you have a no trade clause. You do not have a no movement clause. And at that point, if you clear waivers, I'm going to send you to Springfield. You're going to play in the American Hockey League this year. You'll be making your X amount of dollars, whatever it is. Until you accept a trade, you'll play in Springfield. And I will be given cap relief for your salary. Oh, boy. Yes. I don't. Look at There's only a couple of people I know in this business that would do that. Doug Armstrong. Could be. Could be one of those. Could be. If, if your back's up against the wall and you're trying to put together a team that can win and you have a trade that makes sense because you want to acquire another player that can really help your blue line or your hockey club and the player says no and is unwilling to, it's their right. That was negotiated in the contract, but this is also another reason why Doug Armstrong never yet has given out a no-movement clause because he always has a play. He has an out. With the, with the movement, because you can move a guy to the minors. That's not a trade. And when you're picked up off waivers, that's not a trade. Dude, this is fascinating. So when do you think I don't things- think it's going to happen. Nope. I, I just said, I, if it really gets put, like, so I don't want people to be like, well, Rivers said Army's going to. No, I didn't. Just hypothetically. I'm giving um, people options as to what could happen. A lot of times when a player finds out that the team is ready to trade them, they can say no. Then the team can come back and say Fine, but we still want to trade you. Can you give us a list of three to five teams that you would go to? And then they try to orchestrate a trade to those teams. Boy, oh which, which still doesn't mean it's happening. Vladimir Tarasenko did that two years ago. Right. So, right. you know what I mean? Boy, oh boy, this is going to be fast. Yeah, so when you talk about a major trade, like a shocking, surprising trade, I don't know if that happens. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that happens because I don't think Army really wants to acquire anything. As yeah. far as the players, like, uh, in return. I think he wants to unload some salary and then sign free agent type guys. Boy, this is going to be fascinating. And the draft is in two weeks. Yeah. Right? In Smashville. So this, Oh, God, I hate that. Donnie, I got you tickets. We're going. You and I. Listen. Listen, I'm going to tell you this. What? Are you saying, are you saying no? No. Listen. I will <gasps> gladly go. Wow. It will be a great time with you. However... There is no way that I am going into that city and into that arena and not getting into a verbal altercation with some Predator fan somewhere. It's it's it is it is impossible. There are nice people down there in the city of Nashville. Listen, I have no no qualms with Nashville. I was there last year for a couple of nights for a show. It was a blast. I had a great time. Went to a couple of great record stores too. Fantastic. Like the music row thing is really neat. It's pretty Whatever. Awesome. Those fans I don't like them. Why are you wearing Predators yellow, though, Tony? I am not. This is a Cobra Kai t-shirt. Is that not... I, I will fight you on that. It's just oh, a just yellow shirt. just because you're wearing a Cobra Kai <laughs> t-shirt, you're going to fight me? No, it's been just because Johnny. it's a yellow t-shirt doesn't mean that it's a Predators don't t-shirt. Don't let two seconds of stupidity rule the rest of your life, okay? I'm going to tell you something. Is that or is that not a Predators yellow that it, you're wearing? It is Predators yellow, <laughs> yes. But you have completely tricked me into this. 
The real bad part is is that Jeff Burton can't be in here to continue to give me crap. That's the real, dude, that's the real thing. All right. Uh, for our buddy, Jeff Burton, Jamie Rivers, Donnie Fandango, thank you as always so much for listening. Let's go Blues. The Last Minute Blues Podcast. Hear more at 1057thepoint.com.